real quickly. Um, if you, uh, one of the guys that I asked to help hand those out, would you start handing those out as I make a few announcements? They're going to hand out a fill in the blankets front and back, and it'll be for our lesson here in just a couple of minutes, so you'll need that. So they're handing that out. Don't forget about the devotional books. Those are on sale at the Resource Center. I believe Brother Mike Dominguez will be back there even after Sunday school. If you haven't purchased that and you want to do that um, in between services, you feel free to do that. It's $5. Take credit card, cash, check. And so uh, avail yourself of that today. Um, again, I think this will be the last week we actually formally announce it. They'll, they're going to be available until we get rid of them. So you'll, you'll be able to purchase them in future weeks. But we're not going to make a big deal of it after this Sunday. But that doesn't mean we don't have any. So if along the year you uh, maybe have a family member that has a birthday or... Uh, uh, you just want to be a blessing to somebody, then uh, you, can, you can just ask Brother Mike Collins um, at any point uh, for that, and uh, he'll make that available for you for $5 anytime throughout the year, as long as we have those. Um, and then let's pray for Fellowship Baptist School. Um, they'll be starting their second semester tomorrow, and so pray that God would uh, continue to use that ministry, and uh, thankful for what he's done. They did such a good job over the Christmas break. Um, right before the Christmas break, rather, in their Christmas program and all of that. It's just such a good night together. I'm proud of our school, looking forward to a second semester. And then all the kids' clubs will begin this Wednesday. And so make sure if you're volunteering there that you're in your place and get your kids up there to enjoy those ministries. And then next Sunday, a week from today, is Vision Sunday. You'll want to be a part of that day, um, both Sunday morning and Sunday night. And you'll hear a little bit more about that in the announcement video after the services today. And then, of course, Heart to Heart is the 14th at 7 o'clock, and so mark that down, ladies, and plan to be there for that, all right? Um, I, I know that when we, we uh, kind of randomly decide to meet together in here like this, especially for those that really don't like change, it kind of jilts you just a little bit. I heard some murmuring going on earlier, and it's okay. I wasn't offended by that. I got over it, um, but we, I, we don't just do this because we didn't have anything to say or anything for the class. Uh, I've been wanting to write a lesson actually since this time last two years ago in 2018 um, to help our church. Um, and so I, I was going to do it, uh, start off the year that way, and, and, and then we kind of do it in individual classes. But as, as I began to write it, I would just pity the fellowship Bible class leader that would have to teach it. it, it it's just the kind of lesson that probably the, the only one that can really understand it, clear enough to articulate it, is the one that wrote it. It's just one of those things. And uh, so I, I just want it to be clear. And it's, it's very lecture-based. And so it's just going to be more helpful if we're together. That's why we're doing this. It, it's not flipping. It's very intentional. And then secondly, we're going to start a new series. It's going to be four weeks. Starting next Sunday in our Bible classes called The Grudge. And it's exactly what it sounds like. We're going to be talking about um, how to prevent from having a grudge or unforgiveness in your heart in the first place. Uh, that'll be the first lesson. And, he, and here's why that's important. Because I think some Christians... Um, are too easily offended. Yes. Yes. And, and so you have to forgive way too much. You shouldn't have to forgive that much because it shouldn't bother you that much. Now, some things you just can't let go, and the Bible deals with those, and we'll deal with those. So I'm not being insensitive. But I do think that we put ourselves in, to, in a corner of having to forgive every day, every day, and you're like, that shouldn't bother you in the first place. That's right. So that's the first lesson, if you feel like coming after that little um, <laughs> promo. Um, and then we're going to talk about when you do get to that point, how do you forgive? What does that look like? Yeah. And, and then the, the, the last two lessons are pretty practical, something we don't talk about very often. And, and that's going to be when we feel like we have to, how do we forgive God? 
And, 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 and that's kind of a play on word because we understand that God never does anything wrong. So I don't want you to think we're, we're, we're theologically incorrect there. But there are times in our heart where we think God did us wrong. And, and when those times come, how do, how do we move past that? How do we deal with our relationship with God in the right way, in a healthy way? And, and then the last thing um, that we're going to talk about is how do we forgive ourselves? And, and so when we, we get ourselves in a predicament, we make decisions, behaviors, attitudes that push ourselves in a corner and we just can't move past that because Satan, the accuser of the brethren, is eating our lunch. How do we move past that? And so that, that's going to be the next four lessons starting next Sunday that we work on. I hope that you'll, you'll come to that. Even if it's not really in your heart, well, I don't struggle with unforgiveness or bitterness, understand that, that at some point you're going to need these lessons, I believe. And, and so I hope that you'll come and, and be helped by those. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Would you do that? Philippians chapter 3. Hope everybody uh, received a handout this morning. Philippians chapter 3. We won't get there for a while. Um, we got some groundwork to lay at the very beginning. Um, but we will eventually get to Philippians chapter 3. Title of the lesson is Making Daily Bible Reading and Prayer Automatic. And you'll see what I mean by automatic here in just a little bit. Um, but we're going to get there, and, it's, and, and really the lesson's very, very different for me personally. I, I, I probably spent more time on this lesson than I have spent on any lesson I've ever written for Fellowship Baptist Church. Primarily because it's just such a different style for me. I'm basing it off of a book I read in 2018 called Atomic Habits. If you're going to read one book this year outside of the Bible, I would tell you to read Atomic Habits, written by James Clear unbelievable book. It will help you in so many areas of life. I've been wanting to write something, apply the principles in a spiritual way to our church for a long time, but it took me a while to put this together. Um, so it's a little different, but I need you to follow me and, 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 and work with me through this lesson. I think it'll be a help. I'm going to start with, with kind of a, a, a negative statistic, okay? Here it is. 80% of Americans will have New Year's resolutions in 2020. 8% of them will succeed. So to put that in light, if 100 people want to lose weight this year, only 8 people will actually do it. If 50 people want to, want to stop drinking pop this year, only 4 people will stop. If 25 people decided they want to get out of debt and save more money, only 2 people are going to do it. Now that's not a very good number when it comes to things like health and wealth. But I begin to think about how those numbers might look in Christians' lives who every year try to achieve spiritual goals. I wonder if in our lives, let's bring it down to Fellowship Baptist Church, I wonder if only 8% of us, well-meaning church members, succeed in our spiritual goals every year. Now some people, they get real cynical about New Year's resolutions because no one ever keeps them and they think it's a joke, so they just don't make any goals for themselves. That's not admirable, by the way. That's a fear of failure. So you ought to make goals and be ambitious. But from my experience, I, I think that a lot of Christians fall in that 8%, especially in the areas of the two habits we're going to talk about today, daily Bible reading and daily prayer. I think that most Christians fail as often in their spiritual goals as the world fails in their secular goals. 
In fact, I think the same reason the world, and even us, when we make secular goals like losing weight, getting out of debt, those kind of things. I think the same reasons why the world and us fail in secular goals is the exact same reasons. While we keep starting to read our Bible but quit. Starting to pray every day but quit. And so I want to address that question. In fact, I want to address two big questions in our lessons. Why do we do that? I'm not going to spend time this morning convincing you that you need to read your Bible and pray every day. If you're here at 9.45 in the morning, surely you have an appreciation for God's Word and prayer, and you don't need a message saying these are things that are absolutely essential for your Christian life. I think you know that. Give me your credit for that. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper and try to answer the question, why do you start and stop? Why can't you get on top of this? Why do you go for a month and miss two weeks? Why? I'm going to answer that question. After I answer that question, I'm going to answer this question. How do you keep from stopping? How do you keep from quitting? You've got to understand, first of all, why it is you can't stick with it. And why it is I can't stick with it. And number two, we need to understand how it is that we can stick with it. And I think it's going to really, really help us. Again, based off of book Atomic Habits, which is written in such an easy-to-read way and, and does a lot of scientific evidence of our brains and how we build habits and all of that. It's transformed the way that, that I behave, honestly, and, and the way that I choose habits and develop them and I'm able to maintain them. So first, let's ask this question. It's in your handout. Why do we struggle to develop the habit of day, daily Bible reading and prayer? Why is that? I'm going to give you the answer right up front. Here it is. Because we start at the wrong place. Meaning we start at the what and not at the who. Now follow me. There are basically, James Clear teaches us, three levels of behavioral change. You can imagine it kind of like the layers of an onion. Okay, The first layer of change is your outcomes. So follow this. The level of outcomes is concerned with changing your results. Okay, Losing weight. A team might say, or a coach might say, I want to win a state championship. Or an outcome-related goal would be, I want to get out of debt. Most of the goals you've probably already set for 2020 are associated with this level of change. I want to do outcome. The second layer is changing your process. Okay? This level is concerned with changing your habits and, and your systems. Uh, so, so instead of saying, I want to lose weight, you're going you're gonna to have a process layer which says, I'm going to implement this routine at the gym. Instead of saying, um, I want to win a championship, a coach would say, I'm going to develop some strict developmental drills in practice. Instead of a couple saying we're going to get out of debt, they would then go to a process level and say we're going to have a written out monthly budget. Okay, then there's the third and deepest layer, and that is changing your identity. Okay, this level is dealing with changing your beliefs, your worldview, your self-image, your judgments about yourself and judgment about others. So you're not just wanting to lose weight. If, if you're on an identity level of change, you're wanting to become a healthy person. It's deeper. You're not just wanting to win a championship, you're wanting to become a champion. You're not just wanting to get out of debt, you're wanting to become a financially stable person. Let me tell you the difference this way. Outcomes deal with the what, I think it's in your handout. Processes deal with the how. 
identity deals with the who. Now we're getting somewhere. We're trying to answer the question, why do we set goals and not reach them? Why do we try to build these two spiritual habits in our life but continually fail? The problem is not that one level of change is better or worse than the other. All levels of change are useful. The problem is the direction of change that we take. Watch. Many people begin the process of reaching their goals by focusing and starting on what they want to achieve. Outcome-based goals. I want to lose weight. I want to win a championship. I want to get out of debt. Okay? So so you see the arrow on outcome-based goals. We start on the outside and we work ourselves, work our way in, and we're hoping that these outcome-related goals eventually change who we are. And that's really not the best way. The best way to set and reach goals is to start with the who, which focuses on what kind of person you want to become and work from the inside out. The reason why only 8% of people reach a goal is because they don't even consider identity change when they set out to improve. I mean, think about it. Most people would say, for a secular goal, for instance, I want to lose 20 pounds. That's an outcome. And if I stick to the diet, that's a process, then I'll be skinny. They set goals. They determine the actions they should take to achieve those goals. But they never consider the beliefs that drive their actions. So so when it comes to Bible reading and prayer, most Christians don't start by addressing the who. They start by addressing the what. They think, I'm going to read my Bible through cover to cover in 2020. Outcome. I'm going to memorize one verse a week in 2020. Outcome. I'm going to pray every day for 30 minutes in 2020. Outcome. All of these are great goals. But the problem is... True behavior change is identity change first. Write this down. Improvements are only temporary until they become a part of who you are. Now, if this bores you, you might be the 8%. I mean, the, 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 uh, the, the other percent, rather. If, if this bores you, you might be the, the, the percent that doesn't, and I can't do math on top of my head, so help me out. Thank you, Dad. 90 is a good man. 92%. If these kind of things bore you, it's because you don't like thinking deeper than outcome. I'm just trying to help you. I'm not not talking down to you. But the reason why you keep trying and failing is because you're you're not thinking. You're not willing to go deeper than the outcome. So, So keep following me here, okay? You might start a habit because of motivation. But you'll only stick with that habit because it becomes a part of your identity. Okay, let me shed some light on this. James Clear said, and I'll quote him a lot today, behavior that is incongruent with oneself will not last. You may want more money, but if your identity is someone who consumes rather than creates, then you'll continue to be pulled towards spending rather than earning. You may want better health, but if you continue to prioritize comfort over accomplishment, you'll be drawn to relaxing rather than training. It's hard to change your habits if you never change the underlining beliefs that led to your past behavior. You have a new goal and a new plan, but you haven't changed who you are. So let's apply it. If you're going to start at the identity level of change, and this is your handout, don't start by asking yourself, what do I need to do? Start by asking yourself, who do I need to become? That's the start. And that's where Philippians 3 comes in. That's where the Apostle Paul 
gives us a great example of starting at an identity level of change. Look in your copy of God's Word, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Okay? He uses the first six verses to explain what he was before he was saved. Now he turns a corner and he gives you a perspective of who he is and wants to become after he's saved. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that's that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Watch, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I'd already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now watch these next two verses. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Look up here. The Apostle Paul did not write after he got saved. The, he wasn't saying this. I want to, I want to read my Bible through. He, he didn't say, I want to pray every 15 minutes, every single day. What did he start with? His identity. He had a deep level conviction of the kind of man he wanted to become. And what kind of man was that? A man who really knew Christ. He wanted to become a man that followed Christ with everything he had. He used the word, I press toward the mark. That means strain. If you remember, I preached that in, in my Philippians series. Like, 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 like an Olympic runner sprinting the 100 meter dash. And you can see the veins popping out of his neck. That kind of, uh, of exertion, that, that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of energy. Paul's saying, I want to become the man that does whatever I have to do to get to know Christ better. He didn't ask, what do I need to do? He asked, who do I need to become? And he said, I need to become someone that knows Christ deeply. So then if Bible reading and prayer are things we really want to make a habit in our life, we have to ask ourselves this. Who is the type of person that reads their Bible and prays every day? Who's the type of person that doesn't miss? Who's the type of person that makes it a priority no matter the sacrifice that has to be made? I will tell you that the person who does that is the kind of person that wants to know Christ deeply. That's their identity. That's their heart. Perhaps one of the reasons you've never succeeded in your daily walk with God like you've wanted to is because you've started with outcome-oriented goals and never dealt with the heart. Who you really are. So I might ask you, are you the kind of person that desires more than anything else to know Christ? To pursue Christ, to press towards Christ, no matter what it takes? Paul wasn't the only one. King David said in Psalm 42, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. Do you see the language he uses? It pants like a dog pants. Like a deer would go to a, a, a river and, and pant and get down there and, and, and quench its thirst. Is that your heart for God? You can't go into 2020 saying, I am going to read my Bible every day because that will give me a heart for God. You won't stick with it. That's putting the what before the who. you got to say, God, capture my heart. 
I want Christ to be the first thing I think of when I wake up and the last thing I think about before I fall asleep. I want him to be the center of my life, the center of my decisions, the center of my marriage, the center of my everything. I want to pant after him and thirst after him and run after him and strain after him. Why do you keep reading your Bible and stopping? Because Christ isn't really the center. You're not thirsty. You're not hungry. I'll just say it like this. It's not who you are. It's like waking up tomorrow saying, I'm going to be a marathon runner. And you've never even ran a mile. It's not who you are. You've got to change your diet. You've got to change your, ex- your exercising habits. You've got to change your life if you want to be a marathon runner. And so you've got to start with your identity. Okay? That's the first level of change. We're going to get to the how right now. But, but, but man, I hope you deal with the who before you get to the what. You can't skip that. But once you do, you can move to the next question. It's this. How do I develop and maintain the habit of Bible reading and prayer? Okay, so we're a little more out of the philosophy of it. We're going to get into the practicality of it. Before I answer this question, let's make sure we're on the same page as to what a habit is. James Clear defines a habit this way. A behavior that has been repeated enough times to become automatic. You have those behaviors, by the way, in your life. For some of you, it's biting your fingernails. It's automatic. Or some of you know you're better than me, and that's great. But, but you might uh, click a pin. Um, you might, I'll tell you a habit that, that, that has, our behavior has become automatic in a lot of our lives. The first thing we do when we wake up is we get our phone. For some, that doesn't apply, but for some, it's like the first thing you do is grab your phone. I'm not saying it's altogether a bad thing, but it's just automatic, right? You do things without thinking about it. Some of you, it's you pour salt and pepper on your food. You don't even think about it. It's the first thing you do. In order to see these two things, Bible reading and prayer, literally become that automatic, you're going to have to create a process. And that's the answer to the question. How you develop these as habits. You create a process. Create a process. What does that look like? It's threefold. Kind of the process has three laws, if you would. Number one, keep it simple. Have you ever tried to build a habit, but you bit off more than you could chew? You've been there before, like saying, I'm going to be a marathon runner, but you never ran a mile without stopping in your life. Okay, you're setting yourself up for failure. A better approach is to start small, James Clear teaches, build upon a downscaled version of the habit you want to achieve. Perhaps you'd love to read your Bible through one time, from cover to cover in 365 days. I think that's a great goal. Been able to do it myself, awesome goal, it's great, but it's not where you start. It's going to take approximately four chapters a day. For slow readers, maybe 30 minutes to 40 minutes of reading a day. And and, and so that's not a good place to start. That's a good good goal, but you need to downscale that commitment. And so you you need to say, I'm going to read one chapter. In fact, I'm going to downscale it for you even more than that. I'm going to say you need to buy a devotional book. Now, if you think this is a scales gimmick, sales gimmick, we're losing money off these, so it's not, okay? But we make, these, we, we make these available because we don't want you to fall into the majority that starts and stops. And this is the most simple approach to starting. It'll take you maybe a minute or two minutes, three minutes max to read the book and to focus on its principle, maybe five minutes if you want to read it twice to really retain it, whatever the case might be. 
but it's starting basically as small as you could start and still getting some meat every day. Okay, that's a great way to start simple. Here's a great way to start simple in your prayer life. Have a short prayer list, not a long prayer list. Some try to start praying without a prayer list at all. That's foolish because you're relying on your intellect and sometimes you're tired. You're, re, you're, you're relying on your ability to, to, really, to really feel like praying. And when you don't feel like praying, you're not going to be able to think creatively and intentionally about who to pray for. So you're just going to say a couple things and wrap it up. This is intentionality. Simple. I would challenge you, if you're going to have a prayer list, do one or two things. I would challenge you, number one, you, you could get a, a note card or put it on your phone. Uh, and you, you, you would label it under the day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all the way through, through Sunday. And for every day, you're only praying for five things. There's only five things on your prayer list. It could be a different five every day, okay? But only five things on your prayer list. Or you could follow what we call the ACTS method, and that's an acronym. I think I put it on your handout. So A is adoration, and C is confession, and T is thanksgiving, and S is supplication. That just gives you a rule of thumb. That gives you kind of a measure to follow, a pattern to follow. And so you could open up by adoring God and then confessing your sin, make things right with God, thanking God, and then you could supplicate. So you could make requests. And ask God for things for yourself and for others. However you want to do it, you've got to have a system where it's simple. And if you're thinking to yourself, that's too small. I want to be more for God. I know so-and-so in the auditorium, they read their Bible through every year. And I know so-and-so, they, 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 they pray 20 minutes. And if I just pray for five things, I don't think I'm going to grow. i got to start big. If that's the way you're thinking, you're underestimating the power of one small habit over a long period of time. Okay, and I'll sh James Clear says it so good. Look on the screen. This is long, so follow it. Success is the product of daily habits, not once-in-a-lifetime transformations. It is so easy to overestimate the importance of one defining moment and underestimate the value of making small improvements on a daily basis. Too often we convince ourselves that massive success requires massive action. Whether it's losing weight, building a business, writing a book, winning a championship, or achieving any other goal, we put pressure on ourselves to make some earth-shattering improvement that everyone will talk about. Meanwhile, developing a small daily habit isn't particularly notable. Sometimes it's not even noticeable, but it can be far more meaningful, especially in the long run. The difference a tiny improvement in daily habit can make over time is astounding. He continues, the impact created by a change in your habits is similar to the effect of, a sh of, of shifting the route of an airplane by just a few degrees. Imagine you're flying from Los Angeles to New York City. If a pilot leaving from LAX adjusts the heading just 3.5 degrees south, you will land in Washington, D.C. instead of New York. Such a small change is barely noticeable at takeoff. The nose of the airplane moves just a few feet. But when magnified across the entire United States, you end up hundreds of miles apart. And in the same way, a slight change in your daily habits can guide your life to a very different destination. I'm talking 365 days of reading one page. And praying for five things. Don't think that you need to be a super Christian. And don't think that you have to pray for ten things to be a super Christian. If you do those things for 365 days. And you look back. When, we, when I teach to you another lesson the first Sunday of January in here. And you look back a year. You're going to be able to say, oh my goodness. I didn't feel it in the moment. I didn't see it in the moment. But look at what God's done in my heart. Look at how he renewed my mind in such a deep, powerful way. So read a page. You don't have to stay there, by the way. Hopefully next year you can read a page and then read one chapter out of the Bible. And then in 2022, maybe you can read a page and read two chapters out of the Bible. 
And maybe by 2024, you're going to be able to read a devotional and read four chapters a day and read your Bible all the way through. Don't try to get to 2024 and 2020 when you can't even sit down and read your Bible every day, seven days in a row. Start small and don't underestimate the power of a tiny habit. Number two, step in the process. Make it obvious. This is the most common step that people miss when setting their goals. When it comes to a habit like Bible reading and prayer, we, we talk about generic goals, not specific plans. We say, I want to pray every day. I want to read my Bible every day. But we fail to plan when and where those things are going to happen. So many Christians read their Bible, they, they quit, not because of a motivational problem or, or a desire problem or a discipline problem or really a deep spiritual problem. It's simply a lack of planning. It's a lack of clarity. They have failed to make the habit obvious. You do so, first of all, by predetermining a plan. Here's what you ask. When is the best time to read my Bible and pray? Where is the best place to read my Bible and pray? At first that might seem over the top. But, but you underestimate the power of making things obvious. Because it, this happens in my life all the time. I, I travel a lot and speak. And when I travel is when all this gets thrown out of whack. You know why? Because I don't make it obvious the night before. I'm in a new place. I'm in a hotel room. I'm in a missions house. I've got a new schedule. I'm out of my routine. And so what do I do? I wake up and, and I've got to study my message for, 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 the, for that morning or whatever. And I just get totally out of whack. I sleep in, whatever the case might be. Instead, what I've started to do is the night before, 9.30 every night, I get a, a reminder on my phone. To, and I, it says this, plan to pray. And, and I predetermine where am I going to pray and when am I going to pray. Even here in Liberal, so, sometimes I, I, I plan to pray at my kitchen table and sometimes I plan to pray in my office. Depending on what my schedule looks like. If I don't plan it, I don't do it. And then where? Where can you go where it's uninterrupted and not distracted and where you can focus for 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 to 30 minutes in your communion with God? Plan those things. And then here's the, 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 the last thing you need to do to, to make it obvious. You need to add a cue. Add a cue. What does that mean? Set an alarm on your phone. My cue's at 9.30 the night before. And, and then it goes off also in the morning. As well, I have two cues that come on my phone. Some of you need to set a visual cue by setting out your Bible and prayer list the night before at the place where you planned to do it. Uh, it it's just so, so important to add these cues into your life for things that you really want to do. All right? So, so, so you got to keep it simple. you got to make it obvious. Here's the last step in the process. you got to establish accountability. You have to. Okay, the truth is habits are always built to last when they are established in a community of people that have the same goals you have. Okay, you might have heard of the, the CrossFit boxes. That's uh, just a method of working out. The reason why uh, a lot of those have become so successful is because they don't just join a gym. When you join a CrossFit box, they say you join a community. And, and that's why it, it's so powerful in that way. That's why working out with somebody uh, until at least you build that habit is so key in a secular goal. And the same is true spiritually. Here's why. Because you will have days in 2020 where you don't feel like reading your Bible and praying. Do you understand? 
You're just not feeling it. And so if you don't have an accountability partner, you're going to count on yourself feeling your way to an action. There's no consequence if you don't do it. Nobody knows. But if you have an accountability partner, they're going to help you act your way to a feeling because you know you're going to get a text message that day that says, what did you read in your Bible today? And it just starts to get a little bit embarrassing to have to say day after day, well, I, I didn't. Or to just ignore their text altogether. They know that means no. And so you've got to establish accountability. And, and James Clear says this, nothing sustains motivation more in building habits than belonging to a tribe. And listen, that principle is not tr- original with him. That's taken straight from the Bible. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That word provoke means to stoke or poke, like you poke a fire to keep the fire burning. And this is one thing I'm going to say in my observation. As a leader of this church, we are not good at. We struggle with making ourselves vulnerable to each other for accountability. One of the reasons is because you don't get close enough to people in the church. So you're not comfortable doing that. Another reason is pride and, and just an unintentional life. And, and, and third reason is just no action. You just don't do it. You don't see that it's necessary. But I can, I can point to you two and four and six people in here right now that have accountability partners and they are very, very successful. It makes a difference. Get with someone in your Bible class. Get with your deacon. Um, get with a staff member. Get with another man in the church that's in the same stage of life. You're another woman in the church that's in the same stage of life with you. And say, hey, do you want to be my accountability partner this year? Don't think you're too old or experienced or spiritually mature for that. Amen. Amen. Well, that, that's for teenagers coming back from summer camp. Uh, no. That's for all of us. You need to be close enough to somebody in your life where you can go and stoke them. And they can provoke you. And nobody's going to get mad. It's going to be a daily habit. So when you put all three of these things together, here's what it's going to look like, and it's on, your, it's on your handout. You need to fill these blanks in. I will read a page out of my devotional book and will pray through my prayer list from this time to this time. There's the win. At or in this place. I will add a cue by whatever, setting an alarm on your phone, a visual cue, whatever, and will establish accountability by asking so-and-so to do such-and-such. Are you with me? So so I I gave you a a little example. 7.30 to 8.30 at my kitchen table, set a reminder on my phone for 7.25, place my devotional book and prayer list on the table before I go to bed the night before. I will establish accountability by asking so-and-so to text me every day at noon to ask me what the Lord spoke to me about in my Bible reading and to ask about something specific I prayed for that morning. That is what a process looks like. That is why only 8% of Christians that say they're going to read their Bible and pray every day do it. Because they don't do that. They don't have the intentionality that is required to build a true habit. Here's the truth. Go back to that picture with the, with, with the, with the onion looking thing. It's, it's the next slide. When, my, when we start with identity and you commit to a process, you will experience the desired outcome. Look at that. When you start with the heart, the kind of person you need to be that knows Christ deeply, and you move to a process, the outcome will follow. I would encourage you, don't make any outcome-related goals this year. Do not say you want to lose such and such pounds. Do not say you want to read this much of your Bible. Don't do that. Say, I want to become this kind of person. 
Get a process to help you become that kind of person, and then you will lose more weight than you ever did by setting a goal. Because it's who you are. It's who you are. It's, it's your identity. Two questions, and we'll be done. I've got four minutes. Two common questions that, we, that I, that I want to close with. And, and the first one is this. What if I miss? Truth is, life happens. We're humans. Building a habit's hard. And sometimes we're just going to choose not to do it. If you have a process, by the way, the only reason you're going to not read your Bible is because you choose not to. It's not going to be an accident. You, you literally choose not to spend time with God. What if I do that? Here's a good rule to live by. Don't miss twice. The first mistake is never the one that ruins you. It is a spiral of repeated mistakes that follows. Missing once is an accident. Missing twice is the start of a new habit. That should be your rule this year. Don't miss twice. What if I don't see or feel results right away? That's the next question. Because we are instant gratification people. What if I don't feel like a person that knows Christ deeper after five days straight? Well, take this illustration in closing as an encouragement. Imagine that you have an ice cube. Now, now think with me, we're done. Sitting on the table in front of you. The room is cold and you can see your breath. It's currently 25 degrees. Ever so slow, the room begins to heat up. 26, 27, 28. The ice cube is still heating on the table in front of you, or sitting on the table in front of you. 29 degrees, 30, 31. Still nothing's happened to the ice cube. Then, 32 degrees. The ice begins to melt. A one degree shift, seemingly no different from the temperature increases before it, has unlocked a huge change. Breakthrough moments are often the result of many previous actions which build up the potential required to unleash a major change. This pattern shows up everywhere. Cancer spends 80% of its life undetectable, then takes over the body in months. Bamboo can barely be seen for the first five years as it builds extensive root systems underground before exploding 90 feet into the air within six weeks. Then it uses a sports analogy. The San Antonio Spurs, one of the most successful NBA franchises, they have a quote in their locker room that says this, When nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not that last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. I don't feel like a person who knows Christ, and I've been reading my Bible the entire month of January. I got a process. I added a cue. I made it obvious. I kept it simple. You have no idea what that is doing in your heart over time. Pastor said it's like taking vitamins. You don't feel healthier when you take them but over the long course of time it makes you healthier and bible reading and prayer does the same thing what you're doing is you're chipping away and you're chipping away and you're chipping away and you're doing what paul said from glory to glory you're being changed more into the image of christ by one percent every day and eventually you will reach the momentum where you will look back after eight months nine months ten months and say, wow, you can look at the sculpture of a life that looks more like Christ than it's ever looked before. It starts with who you are, continues with what you do, and then you will get the outcome that God has wanted you to have all these years that you've never really been able to lock down. God help us. Let me pray. Father, I love you.